Uh, welcome everyone to the very latest episode of the Bolt from the Blue podcast following the game against Liverpool. I've got Colin Savage and Ray here to discuss uh, this particular game. And let's uh, say hello to the guys. Um, Ray, how are you doing? I'm not doing too bad. Not doing too cute. And how about Mr. Savage? Yeah, I'm OK. I'm looking forward to calling to bed shortly. But um, yeah, I'll get through being a pro oh, I am. OK, guys. Well... Uh, for some, it was a very frustrating uh, game, this uh, City versus Liverpool. Um, let's just take a look at the lineups now. Pretty much as you would expect um, for City, Ederson Walker, Diaz Laporte, Cancelo, Rodri Gundogan, Torres, De Bruyne, Sterling, and Gabriel Jesus. I guess possibly um, the issue for some City fans would be the the playing together again of uh, Rodri and Gundogan or Rodrigan as people have uh, named it. Now for Liverpool, Alisson, Alexander Arnold, Matip and Gomez obviously their um, makeshift central defensive partnership. Robertson, Henderson, Wijnaldum, and then guys the much heralded red arrows: Jota for uh, Firmino, Mane and Salah. Interesting choice, uh, Ray, of how Liverpool uh, set out. Um, what did you think of the lineups, and um, do, was that that quartet up front for Liverpool uh, unexpected by Pep? Do you think? Yes, <laughs> simple as that. Um, you know, I, I let's look at City's lineup. It's pretty much as as I would have expected. Uh, he, he obviously gives he treats Liverpool with a lot of respect. He gives them the respect they deserve, um, and that's why you've got Rodri and Gundogan there. Um, pretty much. The first, you know, starting 11 was as expected. I'm sure we'll talk about the bench later on. But the first 11 was pretty much, you know, you might change one person for another. You might have had Ford and Bernardo on for somebody. But it was pretty much as a lot of people were predicting. That 4-2-4, and it was a 4-2-4 formation from Liverpool. You know, it's like, do you drop Firmino um, for Jota? Will Firmino's nose be at a joint? You wonder why Klopp went down that route, but it's also, you know, he he out, initially I thought Pep that four-two-four uh, formation, and I, I thought one of them would be playing in midfield and try to be creative from midfield because Liverpool lack creativity from midfield normally. That's what Thiago's been purchased for, and he's uh, he's injured, so it was it was a surprise when they started off like that. But you could see in the first twenty to thirty minutes. Uh, the effective the the effectiveness of that uh, tactic that strategy um, because we were all over the place we you know we could have been two goals down within ninety seconds um, I mean Liverpool um, were thundering through us time and time again knocking the ball over the top and going through a you know way for thin midfield um, so I, I think the initial skirmish initial skirmishes definitely Liverpool's the initial tactical battle was won by her clock. Let me just uh, go to Colin Savage. Colin, were you one of the people that were sort of howling in protest at uh, Silva and Foden uh, on the bench, or did you uh, have confidence, as Pep seemed to, in this uh, double pivot with Rodri and Gundogan? Um, well, I'm not. Um, you know, I, I'm not certainly not a Gundogan hater. Uh, and people try and compare Rodri to Fernandinho, but um, you know, you're not comparing like with like really. So, you know, I don't expect Rodri to play like Fernandinho. Um, I, I didn't particularly have a, an issue with that selection, but 
if if we had a, a fit Fernandinho in his prime playing in that defensive midfield role, you wouldn't have Gundogan in there. Well, or you could probably play Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva, something mm-hmm. like that, something more adventurous. But but the problem with Rodri is he's not Fernandinho. And I think the reason Gundogan was in there was to drop alongside him if needed. Mm-hmm. And he was needed in that first uh, quarter of the game. And uh, do you agree with Ray that, um, well, anyone listening to <clears throat> to Ray there would think that uh, uh, Liverpool just went through City in that first half? What did you think? Yeah, well, um, you know, they were, they were play- it was very brave. I mean, the interesting thing about City-Liverpool games these days is there's so much chess games, aren't there, between Klopp and uh, Pep. And it was Klopp's turn to spring a bit of a surprise. And, uh, you know, they were virtually playing 4-2, uh, 4-2-4. Although I think that the front four were a bit more of a diamond and Jota was behind the, the main three. But, yeah, I mean, they looked full of full of running and full of adventure. And a few times in that first kind of twenty minutes, they, um, they they cut us apart really, and I think we were lucky a few times not to be uh, further behind. So Ray, what, what, um, you mentioned um, the relentless um, red arrows they've been dubbed, and of course before the match, uh, Jonathan uh, Wilson um, of inverting the pyramid fame uh, wrote an article with the title. City's faltering press is at risk against Klopp's relentless Liverpool. I think you called it quite well, Ray, but um, how did uh, City escape to be uh, this escape this um, relentless attack? Was it just a question of um, good fortune on, on City's part? No, I think uh, Pep used, used his uh, uh, massive tactical uh, knowledge and experience to, to help us. But it took time. The, one of the, the points of Liverpool playing four up front, they changed their normal way of playing. Normally against City, they press us right back to the to Edison. They press the defenders so the defenders can't get the ball uh, and they look for the mistake. Now we, and we as uh, City, we try and beat that press. Um, you know, it's a, it's a 50-50. You know, we, we do struggle to beat that press, but when we do, then they've got players out of, uh, out of position. So what Liverpool kind of did this time is they held back a bit. They held back nearer the halfway line. And what they also did was stop the pass through to Rodri. And we saw it, I think, last season um, with Jorginho and Chelsea, uh, early in the season or the season before, where I can't remember which team it was. They, everything went through Jorginho. So what they, the opposition did, just put a man on Jorginho. And that's it. He followed him around. And he, he had no space, no time. Um, and Chelsea's creativity was gone. And it's ex- I felt it was exactly the same here. Everything is going through Rodri. He's having you know, 90 or 100 touches a game or 100 passes a game. Everything was meant to go through Rodri and maybe Fern- um, and um, Gundogan as well. And by this um, press near the halfway line, every time Rodri got the ball, he'd have two men you know, snapping at his heels. He had no space and time. Same with uh, Gundogan. I, I, my belief is, and I've said many times, Gundogan, give him time and space. He's a great player. He's a great, crazy player. But he can't work when he's not got that time and space. And Rodri even more so. Rodri's a slower player than Gundogan. And that's saying something. So th- that press, it, it stopped our passing lanes. We couldn't get the ball through. You know, it was always tight. Uh, I, I remember walking, uh, giving the ball away twice, um, trying to get a pass through. 
And I think the way we ended up getting around it, and I think we were already 1-0 down, let Colin uh, talk about that goal, but we were 1-0 down at the time, is we pushed, I think, Cancelo into midfield as well. So we at times we had three at the back, and Cancelo was, instead of a left-back, he was more of a left-wing-back or into midfield. And it increased and uh, the passing lane, we had three people then to pass to rather than just the two, or he, he went further wide uh, um, like a, a proper wing-back. So that gave us a, an extra man in midfield to give that ball to. Um, and, you know, they only had two. So if they if they were marking uh, Gundogan and um, Rodri, then Cancelo was free. So I think that opened it up, and then we could see the spaces uh, in midfield, and then Rodri would and Gundogan were getting a little bit more time, a little bit more space um, to be able to pass to KDB, who then have a little bit more space to work in. So we got around it tactically, and and also finally Liverpool they had to tire, they had to tire because it was it's a really um, stamina busting, um, fitness testing strategy because all four of their front players were working hard. Liverpool putting balls over the top for them to chase uh, and, and they put a lot of effort in. So I, I think that was another contributory factor. And, you know, the second half was totally different to the first half. There was a lot of a lot more lethargy and you could see tired bodies there. Uh, so it was a combination of, uh, as I said, of Pep changing it around just a little bit um, to create that space and time and tiredness from both sets of players. Yeah, absolutely. Um, City were playing uh, 4-3-3 and... Liverpool 4-2-3-1, Gary Neville disagreed with that and said it was a 4-2-4, but the first 10 minutes were pretty dispiriting guys, um, and uh, obviously some good chances for Liverpool. Uh, something on the 11th minute um, happened that uh, people went back to later, and that was um, uh, City got a little bit of relief from the pressure when Rodri played a good pass out to Sterling, and then... Um, he was barged over by Diego Jota, uh, something that people compared to uh, what came later with the uh, the Liverpool uh, penalty. But um, yeah, I think um, I think Colin uh, Ray's description of that uh, hounding of uh, of Rodri is uh, pretty accurate. And just after the incident when Sterling was barged over, then Liverpool got a penalty with something that looked very, very similar. Um, what did you think about that? Well, they say the Sterling one was I, I thought was a foul, and I thought the referee would blow when he lost possession because Jota just barged him in the back um, <laughs> to try and get him off the ball. Um, and I was a bit surprised that wasn't given. And, of course, a couple of minutes later, um, Liverpool moved the ball, ball forward, and we repulse an attack. Then Alexander-Arnold, I think, plays it into... Um, uh, Sadio Mane and Kyle Walker sort of gets caught because I think Alexander Arnold uh, he plays the ball into Ma- Ma- uh, to Mane, then he he kind of runs and I think Diaz uh, had him covered, but Kyle Walker sort of goes over and then uh, the ball comes inside and and Kyle Walker's then caught slightly the wrong side of Mane, so um, he he goes in towards him and I'm still not sure exactly what happened when I, when I first saw it I thought well that's a it looks like a, a reasonable call for a penalty. Having watched it again, uh, I'm, I'm not so sure. And certainly listening to the commentator on City Plus, uh, he doesn't think there was any contact at all or not much. Uh, and at first I thought Mane had cleverly bought it by cutting a crosswalker. But um, it didn't look, um, you know, the more I look at it, the more I don't think it was a penalty. And uh, 
the bizarre thing was, I think VAR said there was no clear and obvious error. Well, you know, to me, it's either a penalty or it's not, and it wasn't. I don't think it was. Um, and therefore, it's a it's an error. So anyway, I mean, the, Liverpool are so good at getting those penalties, aren't they? Mm-hmm. So, um, but but it, it, you know, it's another one where they've made the most of the slightest contact to uh, gain an advantage. What do you reckon, Ray? The, this this Liverpool yeah. forward line are very, very adept at uh, winning penalties. That's for sure. Well, the, 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 the forward line is they're, they're sl- as slippery as eels. Yeah, and you know, actually, they should spend most of the time in the water with that, that much diving going on. Uh, Colin's right. Uh, look, it's, it, uh, my first impression was, "Oh, Walker, you've done it again. Caught out of position. How many times is this going to happen when you lose concentration?" And blah blah blah. But then when you watch it a couple more times, you can see the contact. It felt like, it looked like fire against thigh. It wasn't much. Uh, and the thing for me was, when, when Sterling got fouled, it was a lot more of a foul uh, than what happened to Mane. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say that. It, that, was more, yeah. that was more of a foul. Yeah. And what Jota did, he, he did it outside the box because Sterling was about to, you know, Sterling was a few yards outside the box. And he would have been extremely dangerous and there's a chance that one of the Liverpool defenders could have fouled Sterling because he was coming at them with a lot of pace and a lot of trickery uh, and it's a very risky situation pushing Sterling in the back outside the box two or three yards outside the box you get a free kick outside the box okay it's still dangerous but I think it's a lot less dangerous than Sterling in the box mixing it up with Gomez or Matip um, Sterling took a couple of steps and then he fell down you know he, he lost control the referee should have played, he played the advantage and then he should have called it back. It was within two seconds he's on the floor. You know, there was no advantage. So, he, you know, and, and the City <laughs> players complained about that when it went down the other end. I felt what Mane did, he was very clever. It depends how you want to look at it. Very cute. He, he had no reason to go the way, he, in my opinion, the way he did. He put the ball in such a place. I mean, uh, I think, as Colin said, Diaz probably had it covered. Um, and Mane didn't chip. I felt... He didn't chase. He wasn't chasing the ball. He was chasing the man. He was making sure that he cut across Walker, who was cutting across him the other way. And Walker was lifting his hands up to say, "I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to do anything here." And I felt Mane kind of he initiated the contact. He forced Walker to run into him by running, you know, not but by not running directly after the ball, you know. Um, and, and he was looking for that penalty. And I've, I've, I mean, obviously, once Liverpool have played a game, they got a, a dubious penalty. People put a lot of videos out about other incidents, and you can see some of Mane. I saw one today where you know he he, he might have been fouled, but he took another step and then he just dived. And this is another a different game, and he got a penalty, and they ended up winning the game. Um, I think that was a Chelsea one um, where Frank Lampard went absolutely ballistic on the sidelines. He was really unhappy. Uh, about what had gone. I mean, and, and, you know, at the time, Chelsea were getting pumped. So, you know, it was in the last minute. It wasn't going to make any difference to the scoreline. But Frank Lampard was extremely um, um, aggressively unhappy with Klopp. And there's a lot of effing and blinding going on on the sidelines. So then, well known for it. And yeah, in my opinion, he, he dived. Um, you know, he initiated the contact with Walker. I felt a bit sorry for Walker. Yes, he was on the wrong side and everything else. Um, but I felt sorry for him and there was actually another incident uh, later I think in the first half where Salah Salah was uh, I think he had the ball in our box he he had two defenders behind him so he was out near the byline um, uh, on the right hand side of our box and he was putting his hands out 
you know, for the kind of feeling for the players. If they're too close, I'm going to go down. And what happened? I think one of them ended up taking the ball off him. And Salah, you could actually see, and there's a video going around, he just dived. He, he kind of spread eagled himself when there was nothing going on. So it's it's something that they're doing. Um, and sometimes you say they're going down too too easily to make sure they get the penalty. Okay. If, if Sterling had fallen down straight away after he'd been pushed in the back, we would have got a free kick. And so th- this is a mistake for the, the uh, you know of the referees. The referees are not um, if they're going to give the advantage for two seconds, they're not going back and saying right, I'm going to go back. There was no advantage. Let's give that free kick. So and they're not giving some penalties, which are penalties. Might be a bit soft, but they are penalties. So the players are going down. That's a fault of the referee. But also the Liverpool players. A diving when nothing's happened, and if you if you watch the incident with Salah later on in that game, where he just dived when nothing had happened, um, he just spread eagled himself, and and they're doing these elaborate dives, and it's just so obvious. And you know the only way to stamp it out is is a is a couple of, is a ban for two or three games. Otherwise, he's just going to keep continuing, um, and they'll keep on diving and they'll keep winning penalties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting there, and. Uh... I personally, I feel that um, after the goal, City began to assert themselves a little bit uh, more. There was a good battle going on between Raheem Sterling and and Trent Alexander uh, Arnold. Um, But it was the 31st minute uh, for the equaliser. Gabriel Jesus coming to our rescue again. Tell us about that one and your feelings about that one, Colin. Yeah, well, I thought kind of the first um, quarter of the game was Liverpool's. And I think despite the penalty, or despite how the penalty we thought was dubious, I thought the scoreline probably was a fair reflection at that point. But then we we started to play. They started to drop off a little bit. We started to play. And um, we'd already had one. Um, we'd already had one, given them one warning, uh, about the 25th minute, when uh, we won the ball in the Liverpool half and Kevin De Bruyne put in a cross, but it wasn't quite up to Kevin's usual standard because it went in front of, it was that beautiful curve ball he does, but it went in front of Gabriel Jesus and came to Raheem Sterling, who was kind of on the far side of the six yard area. And Sterling uh, frustratingly, you know, had needed about two or three seconds to think what to do instead of just, you know, having a go. And uh, it just gave, um, and perhaps he should have passed it back to Gabriel Jesus. I'm not sure when he couldn't make up his mind, but he, he took a few seconds to compose himself. And by that time, uh, Allison had managed to kind of just about managed to block the balls. Uh, it did go through his legs, but he managed to stop it, and it was cleared. I think Matty cleared it uh, from just behind him. So, uh, so we were definitely in the game at that point. And then um, almost that that seemed to fire us up a little bit. Uh, and then there was a few minutes where we were building up quite patiently. You were thinking. Mm, you know, we're, we're we're passing backwards when we perhaps should go forward. Then um, all of a sudden, really, um, we found the space. We went forward. Kevin De Bruyne had the ball maybe about thirty yards out, and uh, Gabriel Jesus was was just about around the penalty spot. Kevin De Bruyne pay, played it in. I remember watching that, thinking, "Oh, I can't see anything here." But uh, Gabby J did a fantastic little flick with his right heel to to leave um, Alexander Arnold for dead. And then he poked it home with his left foot. And it was sort of contrast to that Sterling effort who, you know, had to stop and think. Gabby, with Gabby J, it was just instinctive. The flick with his right foot, the poke with his left foot, one, two, bang in the back of the net. Brilliant goal. 
Ray, what did you think of that goal? A lot of people making comparisons with uh, Romario, that ability to uh, just in in two touches leave a player for dead and send the ball, you know, just like a a black ball, one forty seven finish and snooker mm-hmm. arrowing into the corner. What did you think of it? It was it was a, it was a very very good goal. I mean, we got we beat the press in the midfield, um, and once we did that, Liverpool were stretched. Henderson went towards the ball. They've got ball got played around. I think Mane went in as well. Mane went in chasing the ball, um, and, and these are split second decisions that you make. He went in, and the got, ball got passed around him, and then you ended up. Liverpool was stretched. Henderson was stretched. The ball got uh, played out. Um, I can't remember who was on the right. Maybe Torres and um, Wijnaldum came running towards him, and this is all. You know, they've got no time to think. Uh, that left a massive space in the middle for KDB. Ball was played to KDB, put it forward to Gabby J. You know, the first time I saw it, I thought he miscontrolled it. Uh, and, and then he stabbed it home nicely. He, I thought, oh, he got, he got look at it and bobbled around a bit. But then when you see it again, it was, you know, one of these, it wasn't a drag back. It was it, like he just let it um, roll onto his heel and go back. So maybe Alexander Arnold's expecting him to control it and try and turn it. But he's done that move all in one. His control was that little flick off the heel, and he, and he turned too quick for Alexander Arnold. And he, before the covering defender could come across, he'd stabbed it in. It was a really, you know, on reflection, a well well worked and well taken goal from uh, Gabby J. But I want to just roll back to that Sterling shot, and, and Colin described it pretty well. But the one thing Sterling did, he hit that ball. He took a couple of seconds to think, and then he hit it straight at the keeper. For me, I, I've said it before on, on this very pod, that he, Sterling tends to hit it straight at the keeper. He doesn't try and hit it around it. He's not doing the ding. He just hits it straight and tries to hit it under the keeper. And if the keeper doesn't move, <laughs> you know, uh, if he doesn't fall down, then the keeper can stop it. And he's in a good position to stop it. So extremely disappointed because he was only thinking of the goal. When the ball came across to him, he could have, and it, it would have had to be an instinctive, he could have hit it first time back to Gabriel Jesus, who was still on the six-yard box, um, who would have had a chance. And you could see Gabriel Jesus was visibly uh, frustrated that the ball didn't come back to him. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, it was, it was about time that we, you know, exerted some pressure. And that eventually that pressure told, and we were one-all. Colin Savage, uh, the key moment in the game, perhaps the uh, the turning point in the game was 10 minutes later, it, City get a penalty, uh, the kind of penalty that has been awarded against us many, many times. What did you reckon? Well, um, it, it, actually, just after we scored, uh, Kevin De Bruyne had a shot, which he dragged wide in an ominous kind of warning for what was to come. But uh, again, um, it was uh, Sadio Mane played a very uh, loose bit of a Hollywood-type back, uh, back heel, uh, which is very loose, and uh, Ferran Torres who was pretty anonymous, actually, most of the game. Um, and Kevin De Bruyne exchanged passes. Kevin was clear down the uh, down the right. He crossed the ball in, and uh, Gomez was kind of facing the ball. His hand was out. As the ball came in, he turned away, but his hand was still out from his side, and it hit him on the hit him on the arm. And, and to me, it was a blatant penalty. But you know, we've seen those. We've seen Liverpool get away with that sort of thing before. And um, uh, you know, it was interesting that for for their penalty, that there was no uh, almost no delay. Um, yet for for that penalty, which was blatant and obvious, um, VAR, VAR took a little while to 
decide. And then they sent Craig Pawson over to the screen to have a look for himself. And then he gave it. Uh, but but I think to any football fan, I've not, not got my you know blue spec, sky blue specs on. Any football fan would say that's that's handball. Because, and I'm always dubious about some handball decision. And I think the key to it, it's a bit, a bit like offside. There should be some subjectivity in there. Because you see handballs given when actually there's no advantage accruing to the defend, defender uh, and he's not stopped an advantage in attacker. You see some very dodgy handballs. But that one, that one um, yeah, he's had, the ball could have come to either Sterling or Gabby Jay. Um, and it was a clear handball. I don't know what Liverpool were moaning about, to be honest. You know, it was far more of a penalty than theirs was. <laughs> uh, and, and you know, uh, and we've been good. That that kind of, um, you know, f- f- from from about 25 minutes onwards, that last 20 minutes of the first half, as Ray said, we'd reorganised, we'd, 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 um, we'd kind of stemmed Liverpool's attack. They, they weren't um, pressing us. And you think, well, if that goes in, you know, I, I think we go on to win that. Um, and of course, um, Kevin De Bruyne then pulled it wide of the post. Having said, Ed, uh, having said Alisson, sorry, um, got my Brazilian goalkeepers mixed up. Uh, having sent Alisson the wrong way, and and at that point you think, oh, you know, that, that's it. And I don't know, and almost like you know, if we're going two one up. Uh, you know, we've got the whip hand, but it's so unusual for Kevin De Bruyne to miss a penalty. Mm-hmm. But uh, that sort of kind of summed our, in many ways, summed our afternoon up. What did you think, uh, Ray, of that particular incident? Oh, a penalty. Well, I, I don't totally agree with Colin. Um, I think five or six years ago, that might not have been given. I thought it was more on his elbow. Um, but the way the, the penalties have been given right now, it looked a nailed-on penalty. Um, the ones we've been seeing this season. And Gomez knew it. He, he knew it as soon as it hit him that it was a penalty. Um, I don't think he was deliberately trying to handle the ball or anything like that. But, you know, it was given and... and uh, um, you've got to get on with it and as Colin, Colin has already said you know, it took ages it took ages for that decision to be made Liverpool's positive decisions are made very very quickly um, I'm not even sure they looked at VAR for, for Liverpool's penalty it was nailed on apparently um, um, yeah Kevin should have, should have hit the time uh, I know you want to hit it in the corner and he hits it firmly and if the goalkeeper had dived the right way he wouldn't have saved it but You've got to hit the target, you know, and it, it was it was a shame. Um, it was a shame that he missed. But, it, you know, it, 2-1 at our time, would it have been a fair reflection on the half? I'm not so sure. But on the other hand, you know, you're given, a, you're given a, an easy an easy chance. You've got to take it. You can't you take what you get, don't you? you take absolutely, what you, get. you know. We might not have deserved it, you know, overall, but you've got to take it. Um, you know, all these opportunities because we don't get many, you know, we're not been getting many goals. We've not been getting enough opportunities this season. You've got to take a clear cut one like that. Absolutely. And uh, guys, just to uh, support the uh, notion that uh, 2 1 to City at halftime might not have been a fair reflection on that first half, on the 44th minute, brilliant save from Ederson, guys. This is Alexander Arnold and a, uh, a really firmly struck shot. And uh, Liverpool must be sick of these uh, uh, sort of incidents where the ball gets through some way and wriggles towards the line. And that's what happened uh, here, uh, Colin. So it seemed to uh, be a great save by Ederson. It did get through him, wriggled under his body just towards the line. But um, he made a recovery 
save there. What did you think of that one? Quite comical in a way, but a, a great initial save. Uh, yeah, it was. I mean, I don't think it was a particularly great shot from Alexander Arnold. Huh? I think, um, I, you know, I think after that, the, after that first, I keep saying after that first 20, 25 minutes, I don't think they, from the rest of the game, I don't think they presented a great deal of threat, particularly. Uh, one or two dangerous moments, but um, Edison had to deal with one or two things. But yeah, um, you know, it, if we'd gone in two all, you'd say that's, that was probably a fair reflection of the half. But as, as we said, you know, you take what you get. And, and so I don't think it was, don't think it, I mean, the conditions were awful, weren't they? It was chucking it down. I don't, I don't think it was a great shot from him. It shouldn't have gone in and it didn't. Now, Ray, um, people have then said that this did turn into the classic game of two halves because uh, <laughs> as, as, as good as Liverpool were in the first uh, half I that you put your finger on, they started to run out of steam, did they not? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, we started the second half, actually, with another good chance. Um, and it was, a, it was a shot came and I think it was deflected and Edison came out and there were two Liverpool players near him. And he elected to, I think he tried to punch or parry it. Yeah, it was a bit of a strange punch, wasn't it? Yeah. And he went straight to Jota, who was probably, what, 10 yards out, 12 yards out. He, he went to the side of one man and he had a shot and it was a really feeble attempt. So from from this guy who, I can't remember which newspaper was talking about, was it probably was the Echo or something like that, um, talking about his start to his Liverpool career, like five, guilt, guilt, or was it uh, Hurst or someone like that, talking about five goals in four games. You know, it's like an unbelievable start to his career and everything else. He's like, you know, the, the new Messiah or whatever, um, or the return of the Messiah. Uh, and But it was a really, you know, for, for this guy who'd been um, built up so much, it was a really feeble attempt. And uh, uh, Edison got lucky. But that's that second half really didn't have that much going for it. It was uh, two teams that were getting more and more tired. Two teams that seemed more and more content to um, take a draw, take a point out of this. Nobody wanted to take a risk, um, throwing subs on and this and that, and 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 change things around, looking for the win. Because the thing was, I believe Liverpool were there for the taking in that second half, especially the last fifteen to twenty minutes uh, when they were visibly tired. You know, you know, we might not have been much fitter, but I, th- I think we were. Uh, and we were a more dominant without really creating much at all. But I would have, I would have liked us to really, not be not really gone for it, but you know, switch things around a little bit. I mean, we only used one sub. We had some saw Phil Foden after eighty-five minutes looked like he was coming on, and he never came on. And I just thought for the last five minutes, why couldn't you put Phil on? You know, I understand you don't want to change the balance of your team or whatever. Put him up front. Put him up front instead of Gabriel Jesus or Raheem Sterling. Do something like that where you're not going to affect it. Uh, those guys are tired. And let Phil do his stuff, you know. Look how many times Phil has come on and scored a goal or created a goal. Give him those extra five or what turned out to be nine minutes with injury time. Give him that time to, to do something. He's a creative lad. He's full of beans. He's full of energy. He's not going to let you down. I, I'm really disappointed that Pep. Um, and, and and the one thing is, it's that he Pep's one of the people calling for far, use of five subs. Yet he didn't even use three. You know, he only used one. Yeah, and, and you're right. Foden should have been on with about fifteen minutes to go. You know, Bernardo and, and Foden, you know, will do a lot of running, and both of them have the ability to do something. And Foden particularly, 
you know, is is a player that will run at uh, the opposition defence. He'll make things happen. And I, it just looked to me like we, well, both teams were quite happy. It's almost as though they come to an agreement at half time. You know, we'll take the point, lads. Well, you know, I, I don't know. It was a very strange decision by Pep for me and a wrong one. Well, just like okay. the ref, just just like the referee who calls play back. I'm going to have to stop these galloping horses, guys, and drag them back a little bit uh, because um, I thought. Another key moment in the game was that missed header from Gabby J. That was 10 minutes in uh, to the second half. And and this was a, a result of great play by uh, Cancelo, Ray. And Cancelo, uh, a lot of people putting him up there um, for possibly player of, of the match from City's point of view, not necessarily overall. What did you think about Cancelo and uh, what did you think about that chance? He had a good game. I mean... Uh, on 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 our player rating stream yesterday, uh, he was getting eight and a halves and nines. Um, people were very uh, satisfied and um, pleased with his uh, positive performance. He was once again one of our most creative players. Uh, he put that cross in for uh, Gabriel Jesus. Uh, Gabriel Jesus is not very good in the air. Okay, you know I, I've said it before. Half his headed goals have come off his shoulder for City. Um, so he, he he can't time it right, and he missed a, a good opportunity. Well, it wasn't easy, uh, but it, it's something that he should have got at least got on target. Um, uh, and I think his positioning was slightly poor there because he's come in front, just in front of the of the near post. Yeah, and you've got to be good to get um, to get your header on target from there. What what you want to be is about five yards further back. You know, so you've got the chance. The goal's right in front of you. You've got the chance to either hit the ball straight inside that near post or glance it into the far post, inside the far post. Yeah. Um, but we were talking about Cancelo, and it's, it's interesting to note there was that, I'm trying to remember which game it was now, where West Ham, where we drew 1-1. All the danger was coming from Cancelo's side. All the danger. Um, all the threat. And uh, after about 60-odd minutes, Pep decides, walk, he said Walker was tired, he needed a rest. So he takes Walker off puts Zinchenko on at left-back and moves Cancelo to the right. And all our attacking threat just disappeared with that move. And another interesting thing to know about Cancelo is, um, I mean, he's, he's a, well, there's no problem asking you this, <laughs> actually the question that I should have asked, the quiz question. But KDB has created the most chances for City this season. I think the most, either chances or big chances. And second is Joao Cancelo. He's second uh, which would surprise people even more so that he was injured at the start of the season and he didn't play until after the first international break, after the first three or four games of the season. Um, so he's managed to be you know, the second uh, in the list of chances created for, uh, by City this season. So I think that's um, testament to his attacking attributes, what he's shown us this season. Um, and I think you know people are asking, is he, has he been our best player this season or, or most... Uh, improved player this season, you know, over last season. He's certainly been one of our best players this season, one of our most exciting um, players. And there was a moment in that second half where we do question his defensive um, abilities, but there was, he was, uh, Mo Salah was there in our box. One wrong move and Paul Moore would have been on the floor, you know, like a flounder, uh, like a fish out of water flapping around. But Cancelo slipped. He got the ball whilst he was on the floor and managed to still stab it away whilst he was trying to get up. And then we we um, retained the ball, retained possession. 
Uh, and I thought that was a, an extremely uh, good, quick thinking piece of play from him. So, you know, in defence, he was decent. Um, what I've always worried about him. And in attack, he was uh, pretty good as, uh, during that game. I think he was comfortably our best player. Yeah. Anything else um, that you want to say, uh, Colin, about this uh, second half? I know that uh, Bernardo Silva got a, a chance to get on and... Um, I'm not sure if he really made a very big impression, um, but is there anything else that um, strikes you about that second half that you'd like to talk about? Um, you no, know, I think we've said it all, really. And the one thing I did want to say um, that I noted down was, you know, we talked about how tired the players are, and that, that seemed to apply to both sides, I think. And one of the things I noticed on watching the game back was, you know, Kevin De Bruyne is a very tenacious tackler normally, but there were... Two or three, uh, well, three or more times I, I noticed that, you know, he was in a in a position to win the ball and just couldn't make that extra yard. Uh, and he just looked shattered to me. And, um, you know, it's uh, a lot of people complaining about um, the number of games of the schedule. And I think that's very justified. But but interestingly, um, two of the managers complaining were, of course, uh, Klopp and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And, and Solskjaer was particularly vocal. But um, who were the two teams behind Project Big Picture who were looking to reduce the number of uh, number of teams in the Premier League? Of course, Liverpool and Manchester United. So, um, you know, you do wonder, although you do wonder whether there's some self-interest there with those two clubs. Um, you know, when even a player like Kevin De Bruyne looks, looks tired almost from the start of the game, then you've got to... Um, well, you know, you've got to question the schedule and what they're doing to players and the number of injuries. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you when, when I thought KDB was tired or not as interested in the game as normal, after four minutes. Yes, uh, yes. Torres got the ball on our left. He did his man. He put the ball in across the six-yard box. KDB all the time was stood on the edge of the area. He didn't move a muscle. He never bothered to go into the area. He never bothered to, uh, you know, um, try the end of, of, uh, of the cross that came in. And it was a cross that... We had two men on the on the edge of the box and we didn't do anything. You know, maybe they yeah. thought Torres, maybe they didn't have the trust off, have faith in him that he'd, he'd get a decent cross in. But he did that. He did he did a wonderful job there. And all he needed was someone coming in at the near post, get ahead of the defender and stab it home. And KDB could have done that. Frank Lampard. Yeah, um, yeah. I, he, looked, it, he, it, he looked tired from the from the moment that game kicked off. He didn't yeah. look to be, um, you know, he didn't look to have the energy. Yeah, I say yeah. I noticed three about at least three times where he just didn't compete for a ball that you would normally expect him to snap yeah. into the tackle. Well, I saw him walking back after losing the ball or uh, uh, an attack brought down, and Liverpool were, um, you know, advancing menacingly. They were charging forward with six players. KDB was just jogging back. You know, he he had no interest uh, in being part of the team that tried to prevent Liverpool scoring. That that worries me. I've seen it. I see. I saw it last uh, last season as well on occasions where you know he he busts a gut to get forward, but he just walks back. I find that hard to take. Well, he's probably knackered, Ray. But um, let's say <laughs> it wasn't, uh, last season. It wasn't knackered yeah. last season. Let, let's um, let's ask Colin Savage. How should City fans feel about this result, and how should they feel? Um, on what has happened before this international break? Where are we? Uh, basically, what uh, what have been your conclusions as we approach this break? Well, I think on, on that particular game, um, you know, we might be disappointed 
with a point, uh, and and we we could should have got all three. Very, it's a very um, I think that's a very decent argument to make. But on the other hand, um, you know we've not lost ground to Liverpool, who you still expect to be our main rivals. We win our game in hand, but although it's against Villa, um, we're only two points behind Liverpool, and um, we uh, you know I, I think we're well we're well placed, but. There's just been a sense in these first seven games, seven for us, that we're still not quite at, you know, we're still not at the races. And I think well, the first few games, there were spells when we looked good and then we dropped off. But at the moment, um, particularly in the Liverpool game, there were only, a, you know, only a small, you know, about 20 minutes where we really looked like the city of old. And um, I don't know. I mean, again, we're going, you know, we're going to an international break. Do we really need it? But, you know, if we didn't have it, then we'd be playing two games a week, wouldn't we? And, uh, I don't know. So, you know, we, we've got players coming back. We're hopeful Aguero will be back after the break. But Mendy will be back, Fernandinho. So, you know, we might get back to something approaching full strength. But we know Aguero always takes time to get warmed up and it'd be convincing when he was playing. Um, so we'll see. I mean, it's the same for all the all the teams, particular teams in Europe. It's the same for all the big teams, isn't it? And I think that probably explains why... The top of the table is looking the way it is at the moment. What do you reckon, Ray, marks out of 10 on the season so far? Well, we sat down in 10th place, but everybody everybody keeps telling me if we win that game in hand, we're three points off the top. So, you know, is it is it so bad? No, it's not great that in seven games we scored 10 goals. You know, we were talking about this last week. After about six games in, of the season, we were plus 18 or something in, in the in our goal difference, we you know we last season we'd beaten Watford eight nil, we'd beaten West Ham five nil, and I think Brighton four nil. Um, you know, so you know, we had a cracking goal difference and we scored lots of goals, but we didn't win the league. So you know, it, it's disappointing, and you know we only scored ten goals. It's 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 a concern. It's a concern because there's a lot of high scoring teams out there. You know, Leicester eighteen, Liverpool eighteen, Spurs nineteen. Even Southampton have got 16 goals in eight games. Chelsea got 20. Villa have got 18 in seven. You know, um, it's crazy. Everton have got 16. Uh, even West Ham have got more goals than us. You go down to you go down to 14 spot, and you've got Man United who've got more goals than us. Uh, you know, it's crazy. Even Brighton have got more goals than us. So it's, so it's a concern. You know, you'd like to think uh, we'll turn that around, but you think even without. Aguero and Gabriel Jesus on the pitch, surely we should be scoring more goals. So, max out of 10, 6 out of 10. Would you agree with 6 out of 10 then, uh, Colin? Yeah, I think that's about right. Mm -hmm. Okay, guys, let's move into what we will call extra time. Any other issues that you'd like to talk about? Someone's bursting there. Uh, uh, I'll give you one quick one, one that'll take a bit of time. Walker on the penalty. Um, okay, he's given a penalty away. He's un- disappointed or whatever. When the penalty was, when they were getting ready to take the penalty, Walker had one foot inside the penalty box, inside the penalty area. And when the penalty was struck, I think he still had that one foot. He didn't move, uh, and I don't know why he did that. Because if the penalty had been saved um, or gone wide, they could have um, retaken the penalty because he was encroaching. He had a foot inside the box. I have no idea why he did that. It wasn't as if he was. Uh, standing on the edge of the box, ready to charge in in case it was uh, a save by the keeper and and, and save the uh, save the day. He wasn't interested. So why he had his foot inside the box, I have no idea. 
uh, it's something that you would hope that uh, a child wouldn't do, let alone a professional player. My other point is Riyad Mahrez. He wasn't even on the bench. Um, now, it's an interesting thing. It's something I went over yesterday on, on my channel. He was. We were told by uh, Sam Lee and Jack Gorn from The Athletic, who had spoken to some uh, somebody at City, that he had been rotated. And some, someone said uh, he'd been rotated right out of the squad. He'd had a decent game uh, in midweek against Olympiacos, uh, and, and suddenly he can't even make the bench. And on the bench, we have four defenders. Sorry. <laughs> no, we've got three centre-backs on the bench. In Nathan Ake, um, in John Stones and Eric Garcia. We've got a left-back on the bench in Zinchenko. In fact, we only needed two because Nathan Ake plays left-back or centre-back. So we could have had just Stones and uh, Ake on the bench, and that's all your defensive uh, cover needed. We had uh, Foden and Bernardo as our attacking players and Stefan as our goalkeeper. And we had no space for Riyad Mahrez. So to say that he'd been rotated, I find it extremely difficult to accept. I, I just don't believe that's true. Uh, I don't think he was injured because normally the, you know, the club tell us. They tell, you know, when Zach Stefan was injured the week before, they said so. When um, Scott Carson was in, injured in the warm-up, they said so. Uh, so why would they turn around and say he was rotated if he was injured? I don't see any benefit in that. So I, I'm, I'm puzzled why Maris could have made the team. But that also made me think about what happened the week before. We, we discussed it on the, uh, the previous pod, but I've done some more thinking on this. And it's not a conspiracy theory, guys. Trust me. But here's the thing. Maris was spoken to by, apparently, um, Fernandinho and Aguero earlier in the season. After the West Ham game, KDB spoke to him and said, you're too greedy, pass the ball, basically. Um, now, Sam Lee somehow got wind of this. But he didn't say anything after the West Ham game. Midweek game in, against Marseille, Mar uh, Mares didn't start the game. He started against Sheffield United, where once again he was greedy. He, he wasn't passing the ball as much as I think a proper team player should. And then the Sam Lee sto uh, story came out. I don't think Sam Lee was sitting on a story for a week, waiting for the right moment. So someone's told Sam Lee after the Sheffield United game about what's gone on with these players. Now, he, I've got to, I asked myself, who would have been party to that sort of information? Who would know that the three more senior players in the club, Fernandinho, Aguero and KDB, have all spoken to Mahrez about him being greedy? Who would know that? Uh, the tea lady? The kit man? A junior player? A senior player? A coach? Or a manager? It comes out in, into the public domain, basically, that uh, Sam Lee has said this. Maris comes out and says, that's not true. Okay. Sam Lee comes back and says, uh, I'm comfortable with my source, basically. Now, if Sam Lee had totally made that up or been fed some bum information, surely the club would have censored Sam. They'd have done that, you know, you'd, you'd have thought they'd have done that Alex Ferguson and had a word. Um, and, and either you know cast him aside and say how can you how dare you make stuff up about our players? Um, but Sam says he's comfortable with what, what with with his source, um, and the club haven't sent him because the week you know a few days later in the next game Sam's there getting information about Mara's being uh, rotated. So the club are still talking to Sam Lee. So I ask again, who on earth could have told Sam Lee this and? I think it was done to embarrass Riyad Mahrez. I can't think of any other decent reason. It's done publicly because he hasn't listened to the senior players. The three senior players have spoken to him 
and told him that he's, you know, what they expect of him. They give him their advice. He's not listened to them. So he's been publicly embarrassed, publicly shamed. Uh, um, and then in the next game, suddenly he has a good game. He's passing that ball all the time, and he, you know, which fooled the Olympi- Olympiacos defenders because they were they don't expect that from Riyad Mahrez. And he had a pretty decent game. So I'll ask again, finally, who told Sam Lee? How high up does it go? Was was it even Pep to make Mahrez listen? Because he's not listening to Pep's deputies, you know, the three senior guys in the team. He's not listening to them. So how else can you get uh, Mahrez t- to listen? Why he's dropped, I don't know. Maybe Mahrez has, uh, you know, thrown a hissy fit because, you know, he's saying, well, these players haven't said this to me. And maybe they have. And then how is this? Co- I, I don't know. Maybe he's put two and two together come up with four or five or whatever and he's very unhappy with the situation but it, it, it's very odd and it'll be interesting to see you know uh, after the international break whether it's uh, all blown over uh, it's all smoothed over or there's still some rumblings to continue but it's not a good situation to be in if this continues mm-hmm. uh well that was uh quite a Ray rant there on that point. Oh, rant. Uh, it, was, it was a thought through process there. There was no anger. It was a rant. Uh, there be times for rants. Okay. Okay. Um, what do you think, Colin? Any any other uh, stories in the news, either city related or not, that you'd like to opine on? Yes. Well, um, there's one big one tonight. Of course, uh, Greg Char- Greg Clark, chairman of the FA, has had to resign. Mm-hmm. After a, a performance in front of a parliamentary select committee that could generously be described as disastrous, uh, charitably described as disastrous. What happened? Charitably... Uh, have you seen this story? Um, only the headlines. I haven't really looked into it yet. Didn't get a chance. Well, apparently he um, he was interviewed by the um, select committee. Uh, and I think it was to do with diversity, wasn't it? Um, but he came out with a... well. A, it's hard to know where to start. A, a whole litany of, I mean, it's a bit insulting to call them non-PC, but it was like listening to something from the 1960s, you know, yeah. how, how women footballers aren't quite up to it. Um, uh, he, he referred to coloured footballers. He made some remark about um, the, the makeup, the racial profile of the IT department at the FA. Uh, he had something to say about um, being apparently being gay as a lifestyle choice, and 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 Martin Samuel described it. If he put on a red nose and turned up in a clown car, he couldn't have made you know couldn't have been more comedic. But it wasn't funny. Mm. And and the interesting thing around this is that um, I've written about this at length in the about to come out King of the Kipak. So you'll have to buy if you want to read my full thoughts. But uh, going back to Project Big Picture. Um, David Conn's been having a big go at, at, Clark, at Greg Clark because obviously what, what we now know is that he, the chairman of the FA, and Rick Parry, who is the chair of the EFL, Football League, they put their heads together about this. And, and Clark said he'd become aware of the proposals, didn't like the way they were going and walked away. That turns out to be not quite true as um, he got involved with them uh, a bit later on. So it, already his position was looking a bit shaky. Uh, it's almost as though he went into that hearing determined to say enough things <laughs> that would kill his job. Uh, uh, you know, almost like a, it's almost like being a conspiracy theory, isn't it? That he was determined to, you know, screw up his chances of hanging on to that FA Championship <laughs> by, by what he said today. Um, but the, the interesting thing is that uh, apparently the Premier League 
and the EFL are a little bit at odds over this project big picture. And uh, Rick Parry is the man in the firing line. And um, the Athletic, to give them to give them credit for the story, were reporting that the, the Premier League is not very keen on providing a support package to the EFL while while Clark and Parry were still in place. Well, one out of two was now gone. So um, it may be that Parry is now the only thing standing between uh, a rescue package and, and not. Ooh. Thoughts on that, Ray? Well, it's, it's interesting that um, what he said, uh, someone wrote on, on, on Twitter, uh, and you can take an angle like this. He said, it's strange that he ends up leaving because of semantics, um, because, you know, using, um, let's say, outdated words and beliefs, um, things that in these days you shouldn't be saying, but could have, so if he said just one or two of them, it could have been apologised away for, you know, for bad use of language or whatever. But what he should have been given the boot for was for, you know, for being duplicitous. I can't say the word. I'll choose an easy word. Duplicitous. Look, guys, I know you only get me on this. You only get me on this pod to make Colin look good. I know it. I know how it is. <laughs> um, so he, he, he's just there, you know, conniving behind their backs and, and all. The, and it's just a line, so-and-so. Um, and, and so the things that he should have got the boot for, or he should have resigned for or been sacked for, is not what he's been sacked for. And I think the FA have probably leaned on him to, to go. I think he, I think if I'm right, he gets £2 million. Pounds. Uh, that's his uh, pay- payoff. That, um, I think that's the package, if I remember reading correctly today. I was actually, it was interesting. I think it was Kieran Maguire uh, who was putting up the, the uh, things about numbers and uh, for each, if I remember correctly, in, in different positions, like what does what would Rick Parry get or what would uh, Clark get? And, and there was somebody else who was uh, uh, in front of the select committee as well. What would these three people get? Um, you know, what are the packages last year and what's the payoffs and I think Clark's payoff is two million quid so maybe he didn't want to resign maybe he wanted to come to some sort of um, mutual agreement and the FA ended up pushing him and he gets two million quid nice work if you can get it Ooh, very interesting story um, I'm, I'm going to get into this a little bit more after the pod because I've not really had a chance to look at it anything else guys or shall we um, finally I've got, to, I've got to say I've got to say guys because obviously mm-hmm. I cover the Man City women's team uh, there's a derby this weekend, Man United versus Man City. Man United sit top of the table at the moment, City down in fifth. It's a small league, only 12 uh, teams, so there's 22 games. We've played six games each. We are five points off United. If we lose to United, that's pretty much our, uh, our chances of winning the title. Over eight points behind with only 15 games to go is tough. Um, and, and you've also got to remember Chelsea are up there who uh, have got a game in hand on on everybody and they're, they're above City already. So, you know, what we don't want to do is lose to United and end up being eight points behind United and Chelsea because I think we'd struggle to win the, uh, the remainder of our, our games the way we've, from what we've shown this season. We'd have to go on an, an enormous run uh, and I can't see where that's coming from. And you'd have to have United and Chelsea and Arsenal fall away and I can't see that happening. So, it's pretty much for me. It's a must-win game this weekend. But United are in good form, uh, so the, you know the girls are going to have to really pull this one out of the bag. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, well, I think that's probably just about enough uh, from us, uh, everybody. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Um, we'll probably take a little break over the international break, but um, we'll see what happens. Um, just want to thank the two guys. 
for coming on and uh, we're not going to be downhearted a point against Liverpool, but as uh, Ray said, only a couple of points away from them. And uh, I'm pretty sure that after the international break, we'll be in a good position to make that up. But uh, uh, Ray, uh, thank you very much for coming on. That's always a pleasure, mate. And Colin Savage, again, thank you so much for coming on. And likewise. All right. Fantastic. All right, guys. Well, um, I think it's pretty late in the UK, so these guys better get off to bed. So we'll just stop here and finish off in the normal way and say, have one of us, guys. Up the blues. Enjoy the international break. Thank you very much.